delighted to welcome Rita Williams, Project Manager on the Piccadilly Line Upgrade at TfL. Rita Williams, good morning and welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. I'm absolutely delighted that you've um, agreed to join me. We've met each other, obviously, we know each other through the National Rail Awards judging, which um, which you've, you've brought a real different dimension to over the last couple of years. It's been amazing to watch you in those judging meetings. Um, but by day, project manager in the major projects director at TfL, I'm working on the Piccadilly line upgrade. Yes. Good morning. Um, really, really good to um, see you and chat with you this morning, Nina. Yes, we do know each other. Um, yeah, so <laughs> um, had lots of fun um, judging the National Rail Awards. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been it's been really good. But as you say, my day job is a project manager um, yeah. for TfL. So one of the things that, one of the reasons, and probably the, the main reason why I started doing the Intuitive Insights podcast about 18 months ago now, was because I've got an awareness of there, the number of fabulous people that we have working in this industry who have chosen transport as a career. And I think people who don't work in the transport industry um, don't always get it. They don't understand why people would be motivated to want to work on the railway or on the buses or aviation. And so it's always really interesting for me to start these conversations off by saying to, to my guest, why transport? How did you get into this industry in the first place, Rita? Was that was it a conscious choice or did you fall into it? Um, it was, I'm going to say it sounds a bit like an oxymoron when I say a bit of both. Um, yeah. um, but um, so well, I used to take the tube to school um, every day, so to secondary school. And, um, you know, sometimes we'd experience various delays. And I think a lot of people as well who use the district line will um, share a bit of that pain with me. <laughs> but I, I never used to understand um, some of those delays. And I, I used to be very confused. And I used to sort of sit there and think, why can't we just do this? Why can't we just do that? And, you know, me and my friends, um, my friends and I, we had lots of ideas um, about how the tube could be improved and all these amazing futuristic things that we would do to it. Because, you know, we took it every day for about five years going to secondary school so for me um it was very much about um you know having had the tube be such a major part of my life growing up in London and feeling like there were areas where maybe I could have a positive impact and make a great change and I thought well you know what um you know, I wanted to do project management. Um, I'm a very sort of goal-oriented person. Um, you know, I like seeing things from conception to completion. And, you know, I like that great sense of achievement uh, once you've built something and, you know, you've worked with a team to really produce something tangible. And when um, I saw the Transport for London graduate scheme, I was like, brilliant. So I've been saying, <laughs> you know, but why have we got all these problems on the tube? Why yeah. can't we have AC? Why can't we do all these fantastic things? Why is there always signal failure? Why does this uh, train take so long? And I thought, well, if I can go into an organisation um, or the organisation, um, you know, in charge of uh, maintaining that tube and, and bringing it um, upgrading it, um, and bringing new um, services in, then maybe I can help to be part of solving the problem instead of just grumbling about it on a daily right. basis. Okay. Um, so I think for me, that was the the main aim. It was It's so funny because I do still have friends now who will say to me, um, do you remember when we used to moan about the district line and used to go on, well, now we moan to you. I don't work on the district line, thank you very much. <laughs> not that the people who do work on it are not doing a fantastic job. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, you know, so I have learnt um, of the trials and tribulations and why yeah. we have things like signal failure now. I've learned that it's not just as easy as just whacking, you know, an AC unit, um, you know, in some discrete corner of the tube or on top of it. I've learnt so, you know, the intricacies of it and why it is so complicated to maintain, to upgrade and to bring in all these um you know things that are that we would love to have um but sometimes necessarily don't have the funding the space the capacity or yeah. even um you know just how complicated it would be to bring it in to yeah. merge with the current infrastructure that we've got yeah. so um it's definitely been um, a learning curve and I would definitely say to anyone who thought that they could just run in 
um, with an S on their chest and fix the tube. <laughs> work. Yeah, yeah. You know, TFL and um, see for themselves how difficult it is and what an amazing job it is that everyone does to keep yeah. it running on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's that different perspective, isn't it? And I think, you know, I can remember a few years ago um, when there was kind of the all the big timetable challenge going on and not enough trains in the north of England where I live. And um, I remember one of my friends who, who is actually, you know, has a, has a quite a, a big professional job. I remember him turning around to me and saying, why can't they just get a few more trains out? <laughs> OK, it's like somebody's got them in a garage somewhere and you can just kind of wheel them out. And then, OK, well, say we had, but where are you going to get the drivers from then? Who's going to drive the train? Well, it can't be that hard. Did you not just push a button? There's all this like different perspective that you don't actually get until you come into the industry. There's, exactly. there's two things that I want to kind of go back to from what you've said, Rita. First of all, I am absolutely mesmerised by the idea that there's a group of teenagers travelling to school, travelling to high school. And instead of talking about their favourite pop band or, you know, the, the the person that they might have their eye on or, oh, I don't want to go to school, you're actually sat there with your pals talking about what you would do to fix the tube. So that's kind of a mindset thing that just blows my mind to start with. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we did talk about those other things as well. But in between, <laughs> you've got the in between, don't you? While you're waiting for someone, you've got while a train's delayed, you've got whilst you're hot on the train, you've got yes. whilst underneath oh, the market as well. Yeah. They wash you in, and you're like, yeah. well, what could we do? We could fix this. You yeah. know, and your mind is just sort of going, isn't it? You're on Absolutely. overdrive, um, yeah. constantly yeah. being stimulated by things when you are a teen. So, yeah remember you know especially um being on the tube and just it was the air conditioning one that we were obsessed with and especially you know because I'm always warm on the tube I'm well to be fair I'm always warm everywhere yeah so, um yeah so for me I was like how would we do it where would you put it in where would you put this air conditioning unit how could this work yeah. um and it's funny because I ended up working in a department um for some time cooling the tube um yeah. you know because I was like I need to get this done yeah uh, yeah so, yeah so it is it's definitely something we were thinking about and I think because yeah. um you know the tube has been such an integral part of my life I'm um, growing up in London you mm. know using it daily to get to everywhere um yeah. it's just one of those things it's part of your life isn't it well, part exactly. of your life yeah it's like when I left London I thought well what, what do you guys do you, you drive everywhere <laughs> Why? yeah yeah so, yeah I think um, the other thing that occurs to me whilst you're saying that story as well is the importance of recognising for us as an industry, recognising that there's some really good ideas who it, within people who are, first of all, using the, the service. So do we have a way of capturing that? But also for young people. And this is definitely one of my kind of soapbox topics is that we need to be better as an industry at attracting younger people into um, into the transport industry and in rail, as we're specifically talking about it. You went on the grad scheme, the grad programme at TFL, Rita. How did you know about it? Um, so I did search for it, and I think they came to um, my university as well, actually. So they did okay. a business event. Um, otherwise, I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have known about it Otherwise, if they didn't come, we had a few representatives and a few ex-grads, um, alumni, who'd come and had a stall at one of our careers events. Right. Um, and I think as well for me, because um, I was really interested in project management, I'd already done um, a placement year, a year, I'd, well, I'd done um, a year in industry and I'd done that abroad. Mm. I'd done that in defence and I'd done it in project management. Right. And I thought it's fantastic. This is interesting. And I'd shadowed all these people and supported project managers and thought, I actually really want to do this mm -hmm. um, and so I looked for the best project management schemes um, in the country and the best ones to be honest were the transport related ones at the time right. yeah right. Um, they, they were fantastic in terms of what they're offering for development right. for people um, absolutely second to none those were the ones that were coming out top from from reviews from former grads yeah um, and so just in terms of their offering how did you find out about project management how old were you? Was it high school or was it college, university? At what point did you hear about this, this kind of this function within a business? 
So I had no idea what project management was until university. Wow. Uh, so I didn't sort of think, you know, oh, I want to be a project manager. Because <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't, I don't recall knowing any project managers when I was growing up, actually. Um, but as I said, it was because I did, so I did my sandwich course at university. I did a placement year abroad. So I worked in Belgium um, and I was supporting um, some project managers, um, install IT infrastructures and right. things like that. Um, and I was working in defence as well and doing some work with NATO. And so um, whilst I was doing bits and pieces there and working for um, a consultancy that specialised in defence and finance, supporting the, the PMs there and resourcing for the PMs as well, um, it, it very much attracted me, you know, seeing what they did. I thought, you know, this is a career that I could really see myself blossoming into. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as I said, I like variety. I do like change. I like environments where you really have to think on your feet. You have to solve problems. Um, I do think sometimes, you know, it's funny because we all say we don't like stress, but I think part of you must do a bit if you're a project manager. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, we are employed because things don't go right. If everything went right, you would just need specialists and, you know, discipline yeah. engineers and, and things. You would just need them um, and everything would sort of slot into place. But you need the project managers because things go wrong all the time. We're yeah. constantly responding um, to these environments we're preempting uh, new challenges and figuring out different ways to respond um in so many different eventualities so um yeah it, it's it's an interesting one but from that placement year I learned all about what project managers did I saw their day-to-day -day, and as I said I supported them resourced um for them and um yeah I just thought this is fantastic I thought you know I could really excel in something like this um yeah. And I enjoyed um, the supporting aspect of it. So I thought, brilliant. Yeah, um, I'll go for this once I graduate. And yeah, I that's really interesting. I think it's one of the um, again, you know, we're recording this on International Women's Day, aren't we? And kind of talking about um, kind of how do we how can we encourage more people to do different things and to, to do different roles in different industry sectors and so on. And it really does kind of bring me back the explanation you've just given us to that kind of you've got to see it to be it. And, and in your case, that's kind of the project manager thing. It's kind of when I was at school and that's, you know, it is going back quite a while. We did it. We had like a 10 minute slot. We were allocated 10 minutes in the careers room, which I think at one point will have been a broom cupboard. It was teeny tiny. There was a green plastic box and it had file cards in it and in alphabetical order, all the different jobs that you could do. Um, and you were literally you were put in that room for 10 minutes and and you flicked through it. And the first, you know, I kind of just thought, well, I'll take potluck. I'll pull one out. And the first card that I pulled out was Pigman. Now, and the people are needed to look after the pigs in the farm oh, right. and so on. But okay. <laughs> I really wasn't for me. And it did say it wasn't pig person either. It was pig man, but we are going back to the 1980s. Um, I had no idea about things like project management. Nobody ever spoke to me about engineering as a, as a career option, for example. Um, there's loads of things that are in the, in the jobs arena now that were never even thought of, I think even probably five years ago. Um, you know, lots of new roles coming through that are related to the, the digital world and the changes that we're seeing around how we um, how we make things better for customers, for example, lots of stuff. So that that kind of project management example there that you've you've worked at university on your placement year is really interesting. And I think that kind of importance, it stresses the importance of us being able to, as an industry, being able to get out there and talk about what we do. Because, you know, the rail industry, you know, you don't need a boiler suit and oil on your nose. There are lots of other jobs that you can do to make an impact. Um, and I think that message we need to be probably a bit better at getting that out there. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I do think as well, because even when I think about sixth form, it's not something, you know, that I, I still didn't know about project management and even engineering, I'll be honest. That wasn't something that I was looking at as much then. Um, but I did, um, so I did my first placement year just before university. So I think um, around then there was a, a fantastic scheme called the Year in Industry, but they're right. mostly engineering focused. Yeah. So, um, you know, they put us into placements um, in various engineering companies around uh, the UK. 
and I was working with um, a renewable energy company, a consultancy. So they produced like the world's um, first vibration silent helical axis, um, you know, uh, wind helical, sorry, vertical axis uh, wind turbine. It looks like a sculpture um, at the time. And it was it was revolutionary. It was brilliant. And so um, I start that was for me, my sort of foray into engineering. So I was starting to understand as well what engineers did because I worked with them on a daily basis and I saw them develop things I saw them innovate and then I also from that experience I was also able to see what kind of different job roles there were so that was also that was more you know my that was more the expansion of there's more than teacher doctor lawyer you know the the traditional kind of roles um, that you see because you know you think about what you're seeing all the time so um, when I saw that, I was like, ooh, so there's different things in business that I can do. And then like I said, I went to university and I did um, my sandwich course. And so when I was doing that year um, abroad, that placement as well, then even more, I saw, ooh, project managers, this is what they do, you yeah. know, business analysts and all kinds of things. And I thought, this is, maybe this is something, you know, I could do. And I, that's how I pursued it. But yeah. I do think it's important that we get out there and we talk to young people about these careers and we have visibility because I think people underestimate the impact of visibility. Um, not just seeing people that look like you, but even just being, letting people know that there's an option. And the only, it's not just, um, you know, you have to be on the front line, which obviously there's nothing wrong with um, fantastic things to do, but just so that you know there are other options. And with every industry, every business, there are so many different facets and components to getting that business up and running. Mm. There is a job literally for everyone and every talent. And I think that that message needs to be pushed out there a bit more. Yeah, we need to get better at that as an industry. Um, And and I'm definitely, every opportunity I get, I'm waving the flag for, can we have a national campaign, please? Can we coordinate this all together? And I have got, you may have seen the advert on the telly for, um, it's for the Royal Navy, but it's this bloke and you kind of, you get to see all these things that, that he is involved in, in his career in the Royal Navy. And at the end, it says, it's kind of born in Blythe, made in the Royal Navy. And it's kind of that, kind of advert which really inspires and motivates and it pops up on the telly you know when you're kind of just sitting in your in your on your settee of an evening and it just sows a seed it's kind of like oh gosh yeah that's not what I thought it would look like Um, and I just think we've got an opportunity to to do something nationally so I'm I'm definitely I'm waving the flag and speaking to anyone who'll listen to me about that particular topic at the moment (laughs) So when you when you joined Rita, what just talk me through the the kind of career to date at TFL from the grad program? Um, what did that look like, and how have you got to the role that you're currently doing today? Right. So I started the grad scheme um, a good few years ago. Now I always want to say like two three years ago, and then I remember it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, actually, it's been quite a while now. Um, yeah, it's been quite I do that. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> has it been that long? Um, but, you know, because TFL is such a big organisation and you could work for so many different parts and you're in all these different programmes, it almost seems like every time you move roles, you know, because we would still apply to move to a different role, that you're working for a new company. Um, but I started the grad scheme um, a few years ago and um, my first ever placement, I'm trying to, well, I can remember because it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> 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 um, but yes, I worked for um, a department then called Stations and Third Party Development. Um, so it was um, a really interesting and cool, it was a placement that was assigned to me because um, the grad scheme is a two year um, intensive training program. Um, fantastic development scheme. I honestly had a brilliant time on the TFL grad scheme. And um, if it's I, I, if it's going at the moment, I'd recommend it to absolutely anyone because it, it was brilliant for shaping. They really, really cared about our development as um, leaders and as people contributing um, to the organisation, it, it was a great grad scheme. So I worked for stations and third party development and um, it was construction project management placement. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking when I first started, oh, been assigned to this construction one, not really interested because I didn't really know much about it. I thought I wanted to do more change management. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll do this for a little bit. And if I want to change placement, I'll tell my placement advisor I want to change. And um, I found out that I ended up loving it. 
Um, I loved the environment. I loved being on site. I loved the people that I worked with. They were fantastic. Um, They were incredibly knowledgeable. Um, Lots of fun. I worked with a lot of boisterous characters um, that were very happy to kind of take me under their wing. And um, I really enjoyed it. I project managed um, various projects whilst I was there. So we were involved in um, the Pret-a-Manger at Stratford, um, which was, yeah, so um, we built that in 12 weeks. (laughs) Um, because we had a moratorium with Pretz, that was a fantastic project. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it was one that was quite commercially um, lucrative for TFL. So, um, all of the projects that we did at stations and third party development, it was mostly um, a commercial development type project. So, things involved, um, you know, any sort of developers approaching us and saying we'd like to build retail um, units and spaces, we'd like to exploit those, um, and we're happy to give you you know, a percentage of perhaps either profits or we'd rent the land and and then we'll also upgrade or contribute to the maintenance of a particular station or contribute um, in some way, shape or form to con- to improving public infrastructure. Yeah. So for me, I really liked that um, department because it was very commercially savvy. Um, and it was also great because it was like there, as much as um, the developers were able to acquire land to develop what they wanted, TFL were very, very stringent on making sure that they heavily contributed to that the community or the state, you know, and or the stations around maybe that land that they wanted to lease as well. So, you know, for example, um, you know, some of the agreements say with Westfield, it would be with you guys would have to contribute to, you know, a substation, um, you know, to building a new substation or yeah. you know, the new station that came up um, at Shepherd's Bush, you'd have to contribute to maintaining and things like that. So, um, you know, it's the partnerships were, were very sort of lucrative for both um, parties. And it was great because it saw that it enabled us to be able to do sort of upgrades and maintenance works that unfortunately we just never had the funding to do. Yeah. And it also, um, you know, gave a bit of a facelift to those local communities and environments, and they were also involved in the consultation, so that was good. Yeah. Uh, so I worked, as I said, um, third-party and station de- yeah. um, developments. Um, we built the prep. We worked on various retail units and things. So that was good. And then I moved on to surface because we have to do a surface placement. Um, right. so we have to do London Underground and surface. They do tell us we have to have experience all across the organisation. Um, and I project managed Prudential Ride London. Right. Um, so that's um, at the time was the world's biggest cycling festival. Um, yes, that was really exciting. Wow. Yeah, because um, I'm not really a cyclist. So that was very interesting. Right, so, okay. yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, a very, very interesting. One. Yeah. You bring another different perspective to that as well, then, aren't you? Because yeah. you're not looking at it from a cyclist perspective, but more kind of holistically than that. Yeah. Um, also, um, and then the Tour de France when it came to Britain as well. So that's very oh. exciting. Yeah. Um, so I think the the funny thing with Prudential Ride London is at the time, I think I was responsible for the most road closures in British history at one time. However, <laughs> <laughs> to the madness there was um we had them we had the road closures rolling um in terms of when they were opening so yeah. uh whereas I think the previous years what they've done is they tried to open them at roughly the same time whereas we were opening them much quicker so we were closing them for very short amounts of time and then opening them super quickly so even though we had more it just meant that people could access the roads a lot quicker and there was a lot um people just seemed a lot happier because they were like oh we thought it was going to be closed for the whole day no yeah. that's fine we can get it open a bit quicker yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had a good time in surface, very different to London Underground and doing construction. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I went um, onto a team that was called uh, SWIP. And what I was doing, I was working on bridges, um, tunnels, and infrastructure. So um, I was project managing uh, bridge refurbs, um, maintenance works. Um, and these were bridges that we weren't allowed to close. So sometimes trains were still running on those bridges. Um, We had to find a way to to safely upgrade or maintain them. Um, The sections that we could close, we did. Um, So I was doing a lot of work there with them, uh, different types of infrastructures and tunnels as well. Um, And then I went to Hong Kong. Um, So I was seconded to Hong Kong MTR to work for them for a bit. Oh, nice. Brilliant. Um, I had the best time there. Uh, Lots of fun. It's really good to see the way that they, um, you know, do it. And uh, they are considered to have, uh, you know, one of the best metros in the entire world. 
Um, and uh, it was originally built by London Underground. So, um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't want to take all the credit away from it. <laughs> <laughs> However, there are a lot you of could people take a little bit. underground who, uh, who went yeah. over um, and helped build it. And uh, what when I asked them why it was that they didn't have as many problems, well, obviously, because, you know, London Underground is incredibly old. It's a lot older. You know, yeah. it's over 150 years old. Mm-hmm. And then all the issues that they used to, that they were facing and all the problems that they had with the underground, mm-hmm. they literally took the lessons learned and said right when we go to Hong Kong and build that now we're not yeah. going to do this <laughs> like we're going to build you know learn from that yeah exactly. all the problems and it's so funny because when you walk through and you go through sort of the back office stuff and you go through the tunnels you li- you see all the problems undone so the things that we have that are, that are kind of well, yeah. we're wrong but that were right for the time 150 yes. years ago you see yeah. them undone in Hong Kong like literally just undone I can see the walls, the structures, the station interchanges, how many lines change in one station, everything you can see, it's mapped out beautifully. And um, I think with MTR as well, they've got fantastic um, teams out there and processes. And, you know, so they've got, um, and they've got a lot of uh, funding because they're private. So they get their funding uh, mostly from their Rail Plus property model. And, um, you know, so they're able to really inject that, that funding into building a fantastic metric yeah um, so for me I felt like there was a lot to learn from yeah. them and I did I, I did and I, d- I just need to ask you so what I can the people listening to this I can almost kind of hear a few voices going oh you're so lucky Rita you're so lucky to have had that opportunity and yes you are but I also know at my at my kind of point in life that luck happens. Yes, it does. And we can all say we were in the right place at the right time. But how did you get to Hong Kong? What was it about you or the job you were doing, how you were doing it, whatever? How did you get there? Because, yeah, you can have you can have a look for a bit of it. But what did you do? Because I know you will have done something. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, I remember the first day on the grad scheme. So that that was sort of my time on the TFL grad scheme. And my first day on the grad scheme, I think I had heard that someone had done a secondment um, in New York with the bike scheme. And I thought, that's fantastic. You know, for Transport for London, how are people able to get secondments, um, you know, abroad? What's going on? And I spoke to her about it. Um, and I, I sort of thought, OK, well, do you know, what? I would love to have the opportunity to have a comment to learn from another, you know, um, another country's network and perhaps bring these lessons back. Um, so I did do a fair amount of legwork. And um, what I did is I started to do research as to what um, what the best metros were considered in the world and um, by a comet. So I looked at comets rankings of the best metros in the world. Right. I looked at some of the common problems that I felt we were facing and I saw the way that it was reported they dealt with it. So I brought the top three at the time and um, I, I presented, I built a business case and presented that business case as to where I felt we could learn and what the benefits and value would be to the business if we had one person seconded or if we perhaps did an exchange program where they could learn certain things from us and we could have knowledge exchange, we could learn certain things from them. Mm-hmm. And once I presented that business case, um, you know, senior managers saw that there was merit in it. Yeah. Um, they asked me to do a few bits and pieces as well in terms of exploring more of the figures the numbers um you know and sort of what real value would be added so it wasn't just a jolly um to hong yeah. kong and yeah. um yeah so it was a case of presenting that to various people once that was passed it was then the next level up um yeah. and doing all that research so I, I did put in a lot of um legwork for this and i also brazenly might i add approached <laughs> approached certain people that i thought um you know would have some sort of vested interest in having certain problems solved. So certain people in the organisation, I thought, you know, they're working on these problems. That Metro has already, has appeared to solve this problem. Oh. Could, could I approach them and ask and see where it is, what's, what is, what limitations do we have in solving the problem and why haven't we approached it the way they have? Or, you know, where is it that we've got shortfalls? And in approaching those people and, um, being quite brazen as well to to ask for the opportunity I do think it helped because it wasn't something that was out there it wasn't a, a thing where you know I was told there's this competition that we have every year and you can go and do this comments 
there are no secondments abroad. Um, yeah. You know, they don't they don't want to really be promoting sending anyone anywhere. So, <laughs> which makes sense. Like yeah. we work for Transport for London, that makes complete sense. But in presenting that business case and showing that I could add value by going and um, value, you know, the, having strengthening the relationship as well yeah. with um, the other metro, there could be value in that. We could have lessons learned and solutions yeah. brought back to us. We could be solving problems as well. I think people saw the merit in that and thought, okay, yeah. we'll give you that opportunity to do it. Yeah, this this kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation when you mentioned that you're very goal orientated and you've seen something that you wanted to do literally on the first day of your graduate programme with TfL. You've this opportunity, you've seen someone else has had that opportunity for a secondment and you've you've made it happen. You've really kind of obviously thought it through in the way that a project manager would to say, right, we need to, to we need to get to that point. How am I going to get there? And and obviously there needs to be a business case because why on earth you, you can't have a jolly to Hong Kong. I'm sure I'm sure some people do, but I can't <laughs> imagine it happening with TFL. So brilliant story, Rita. I love, I love that. I love it. And so from there to, to where you are today, um, any more wriggly bits? Yeah, yeah. So I came back from the grad scheme, you know, presented a lot of the things I learned because um, there again, I was doing um, some work with their retail units and understanding their commercial agreements, mm-hmm. um, how they do testing and how they manage to get through certain processes a bit faster than we do. Uh, So I came back and I worked for um, Cooling the Tubes. I rolled off the grad scheme and I went to Cooling because, as I said, AC was my mission. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, we need AC on the tube. Um, Stop London sweating. (laughs) Stop London sweating, especially in the summer. So so I went to work for Cooling the Tube. Um, I worked on the award-winning Forest Road uh, ventilation shaft um, project and then also um, Bay Street as well that fan upgrade system so bringing cooling to the platforms bringing cooling to various areas and we had St Paul's as well which is quite I know people say it's quite chilly um, at the moment because of all the cooling we've brought in and uh, we did actually draw up some plans and things for prospective cooling so working with wider programs as well to bring cooling onto some of the newer trains that will be coming in within future years mm-hmm. um, so I had a great time there and then I went to 4LM so that is um, uh, the billion, uh, well, I think at the time it's about 3.4 billion, possibly gone up uh, <laughs> programme. So that's um, upgrading the Hamilton and City um, district, um, uh, Hamilton and City, MetLine district and the Circle Line. Right. So that's bringing in um, the S-Stock, upgrading the signalling system for that. So um, I was working also on the signalling equipment rooms building um, some of those as well, which was no easy feat because a lot of that was on land that was basic, it was in logistically areas, we'll say, um, very, very small areas right. of land and constrained areas. So I worked for 4LM for a while delivering uh, some of those buildings. Right. Um, and then that took me to the Piccadilly line upgrade right. um, because I'd built some signaling equipment rooms at 4LM. I'd been there for a while and I thought, new challenge now, we'll do Piccadilly line upgrade. Um, and yeah, so I'm uh, currently working on upgrading the DC power infrastructure, um, which is huge because it's across the entire line. Uh, the Piccadilly line upgrade, we're hoping to increase the capacity of the Piccadilly line by about 60 percent. Wow. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. We're hoping that, you know, we can still achieve that um, with a lot of the, the funding issues that we have at the moment. But we are working really, really hard. Some great work has already been done. We're finding ways um, to cut costs where we can, obviously, within the realms of safety and without compromising, um, you know, the actual aims of the project and still being able to deliver value. So we're looking for different innovations. And um, I'm working with a team of fantastic engineers at the moment who are producing innovative, innovative solutions for um, with some of the cabling and um, changing materials. And we're going through some actual trials and testing at the moment. Um, and we've discovered with one of our innovations, as we're still doing the trials, I won't talk too much about it, but mm-hmm. with one of them, we've already saved um, 1.5 million just wow. from, yeah, yeah. Um, innovation of uh, switching one of the, mati- the the cable materials. So we're doing various bits and pieces um, at the moment. And we've, you know, we really, we are really trying to 
reduce costs in a way that is that still supports innovation but also does it safely mm. so I mean yeah the Piccadilly line um it's yeah it's where I'm at now um it's challenging especially with everything that's happened yeah. um because of Covid um but we're, we're getting there <laughs> you know we're doing what we need to do um yeah. we're doing what we need to do and, and we're getting there it's a huge um undertaking just you know my sort of portfolio of projects yeah huge. so I just just the other parts of it as well to get the Piccadilly line upgrades and then get those new new trains coming in um it's a lot of work yeah amazing to be involved in it and I think just listening to what you've talked us through in terms of your career to date and I have absolutely a hundred percent confidence that you will continue on this amazing trajectory and I will watch with interest in terms of what you go on to do but anybody looking at a a graduate program in the transport industry and hear it so kind of looking at it in one sense and then hearing what you've done and what you've been involved with it's kind of almost like well I had no idea that all of that could be involved in this kind of industry and this kind of of graduate programme. Really grateful to you for talking us through that because I honestly believe it will be inspiring for other people listening in. And maybe they are already in a a career in the transport industry. A lot of our audience are kind of already, um, you know, kind of well progressed into their career. But they've got children, they've got friends with children, they've got other people that they can tell about it. And I really hope that 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 story gets, gets shared. Um, and inspires other people to want to to join in terms of yeah sorry Rita no sorry I was just saying it is I do think with graduate schemes you know they do have a structure and there is a great program for development but you really have to take take it sort of and own it you have to create a lot of the opportunities um you have to volunteer for things which you know I did a lot of you've got really put yourself out there and make yourself visible you've got to um really work on you know taking charge of your own development because yeah. what I've learned is people will help you and people do do want to but if you're not as forthcoming I think you can sort of just sit by and watch everything pass you whereas if you're if you sort of take that opportunity when you see it um you know and, and say yes to opportunities when they come and see see what comes of them then you've got a better place to really carve out the future that you want for yourself. Most definitely. And that's advice all the way through your career. That's really good advice. And and I think that grabbing hold of the opportunities, seeing them in the first place, grabbing hold of them. And and for me, again, you know, I completely agree with your comment about make yourself visible because we've got got so many amazing people in this industry sector. Um, And I kind of make it my business to go and hunt them out and find them. But sometimes it's quite a tough ask, actually, going finding people. And then you think, gosh, why haven't I heard of you before? Why haven't I met you before? Visibility is key. It really is in terms of of your career development. Mm -hmm. In relation to the industry then and the future we've obviously you know we've mentioned it a couple of times the last two years have been tough they've been really tough um for all of us as individuals as well as for the the rail industry at large um if i could give you a kind of i get my magic wand out rita and say right okay what changes would you like to see if i can grant you some wishes for the changes you would like to see in this industry to take us forward into the future what would those things be? Three wishes. Okay. And this is, is this without the restraint? With no restraint at all. All the mixed <laughs> off. My magic wand is fully charged and ready for action, Rita. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, my biggest one is funding. Um, I think if we can find um, better, you know, routes for secure funding, secure and consistent streams of funding. Um, And as I've alluded to before, I think that can be done with the exploitation of commercial developments and seeking commercial agreement opportunities. I I think that is a brilliant way to secure funding, really taking advantage of those um, commercial agreements with developers, with, um, you know, any sort of any sort of retail businesses. um, I think that is a good way because I don't I think as with this pandemic has shown us and as with, you know, how the the governments in the last few years have shown us, you can't necessarily rely just on 
government funding um yeah that is not a certainty Um, so I do believe um if we could secure you know some ways of consistent funding and actually the funding that we need to truly maintain and upgrade the network to a standard that the customers would be happy with that would be brilliant because we do have the plans in place we do have the engineering we do have we have the the skill set to make some of these things happen but unfortunately we are very very stretched um and so therefore it becomes a sort of cherry pick of well what can we do for what we've got and it's the best thing to do so you know as much as you know we've talked about ac a lot i always will (laughs) (laughs) as much as we would like to have that on the central line it then becomes however Um, You know, you've got areas of, say, another line that, you know, if we don't replace some of the equipment, that there's always signal failure. So we have to replace the equipment there. We have to upgrade it there. So it becomes what what do you choose? Do you choose people being slightly cooler or even being able to get to their destinations or having, you know, delays of about 20 minutes just because, you know, there's signal failure on one part of the line? So it would be great if we had that consistent funding and we're able to prioritise um, certain projects so that customers can really, you know, in- enjoy their experiences a bit better. I don't think, I think we have a fantastic um, underground. I think our bus network is extensive. Um, I do think, you know, it's as controversial as it might be for some, we do have one of the best public transport systems in the world. Yeah. And I think that we often take it for granted um, and people uh i and i totally understand why people do thinking from a very insular way in terms of how their journey has gone that day or you know and because it might not have gone smooth that day or they've had to wait six minutes for the bus instead of three yeah. <laughs> um, you know you've got grumbling. all relative isn't it exactly and yes. i get that but i think that when you understand the challenges that we're dealing with the network and the funding and everything that actually goes into making it happen mm-hmm. you know there's a better understanding there that it's, mm-hmm. it's such a big complex intricate system and people are doing the people involved in running it are doing their best and they're doing um very very well for what it is and I I do think you know we've got the the most amount of track mileage in the world the oldest system in the world Um, no other system in the world runs um you know as much as as we do Uh, we do have a bit of catching up to do as I say and we have a bit more maintenance to do and upgrades but I do think if we had more funding that would be one yeah Um, and I'd say two, my second wish, because I spent quite a bit of time on that wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think it deserves it. I think I do. Um, it would be to increase, um, you know, and I know this is sort of being thrown around a lot as in diversity, diversity. But I mean, in the sense to increase the diversity of the key figures in the industry. So um, especially for me, because we mentioned seeing, you know, uh, as when you're younger, having role models and seeing people who, you know, seeing people that do the job that you do. And as I didn't have that, I didn't feel that, um, it's not that I didn't feel I couldn't do it. I just didn't know it was an option that was available to me um, because I didn't see people like me doing, you know, the job that I do. And I think that um, in the rail industry as well, it is very um, sort of family orientated. So by that, I mean, you get, you meet a lot of people whose parents might have, you know, their dads might have been in the railway and their, their uncle was and, mm-hmm. and you've got the brother and the cousin and you've got these big sort of family networks in, in railway, which is fantastic. They've passed that on, that knowledge onto their family and, you know, their family's been inspired by that. So they've continued. Mm-hmm. But um, what would be great is if we open that up you know to everybody so you know it's like you said if we spoke more about the jobs that are available so everybody it was open because mm. once we open that up we open it up to different perspectives we open it up to different um talents as well because you know when you have more diversity and you know it has been proven with various studies when you have various people from various backgrounds in the room and diversity in terms of you know um gender as well you do tend to get better ideas businesses perform better when they have um you know people of mixed um backgrounds on their boards they perform better because you get new new fresh um takes on ideas you get different ways of thinking you get different innovations you get people coming together to create something amazing Mm -hmm. and it's because they're not all thinking the same way yeah. So I think, you know, if we could just sprinkle, I'm not saying that means we need to exclude anyone. I've always been very clear about that as well. I'm not in favour of excluding people in order to, or showing, 
you know, that kind of preference over the other. It's just opening up the doors to more people and being more inclusive as yeah. opposed to being exclusive. Absolutely. Totally yeah. agree. I think those would be my wishes. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for that. I could I could quite honestly listen to you all day. I find you really inspiring. I find you really interesting. But I've, I'm going to bring this particular conversation to a close. <clears throat> and, and to do that, I want to ask you, in relation to um, a couple of things, both of which are kind of tied in with inspiration, as you've gone through your career, have there been um, have there been role models, Rita, that you kind of can say, well, that person, there was that that person saying that to me or giving me that opportunity, or whatever. They've they were a really strong role model for me. Um, and finally, a quote to leave us with, um, which has inspired you, made you think, motivated you, whatever. But something that that just kind of comes to mind when I ask, um, is there a favourite quote that you'd like to share with us? Um, so in terms of role model, I'd say um, one of my first managers on the TFL graduate scheme um, was a fantastic, um, confident, boisterous man um, who was very much himself, um, unapologetically himself. And I had never worked with anybody like that who was so confident and so, you know, themselves. I'd, I thought it was brilliant. And some of the things that he taught me um were about fear because you know you come in and you're young and as I said you know you feel like you've got to be on your best behavior you don't want to put a foot wrong and you know I was sort of really worried I wanted everything to be right and everything to be perfect um and he taught me a lot about just sort of believing in your own potential so it was very much that you don't have to be a hundred percent yet it would be fantastic if you could be and that's fine but you are still learning and you are getting there and that's okay it's very much okay to believe yeah. in your potential. And as long as you work really, really hard, you yeah. can fulfill that potential. You yeah. do not have to be perfect. And, you know, he very much sort of taught me, because I'd, I'd be there, you know, staying till, for ridiculous hours, trying to get everything, you know, right. Yeah. And he came to me and he said, that's not what you're here to do. You are also here to learn. And I think that sometimes we go into jobs thinking that we have to know absolutely everything. And yes, you do have to know a bit. Come on, you've, you've yeah. been hired because you know yeah, something. Absolutely, you know there needs to be some reason why you're doing the job. Exactly, but at the same time, I think that there needs to be some humility in yourself and understanding that you can learn, um, and you know you can. You need to believe in yourself. You need to believe that you are capable, yeah. and if you do that and you can bring that to the team, you can be an asset. You yeah. can be an asset in the way that you add value to others, um, and having that confidence to even fulfil your role. Yeah. Um, so I thought that he was great because, oh, you know, yeah, he he taught me a lot about that. And he also sort of pushed me to really get out there and talk to people as well, you know, because you'd be there in, you know, at your desk and you'd only talk to your team. And he would constantly be like, you know, pick up the phone, go and see that person, go and establish relationships, go and talk to people. Because even from them, you don't know what you could learn, you know, because when it's that thing where, um, you know, someone says, when we're talking, I think when you're talking, I think it was the Dalai, Dalai Lama. I hope it was. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think it was. He said that <laughs> when we say something, when we're talking, we say what we already know. But when we listen, that's when you learn something new. But yes. Exactly. And it, yeah. it makes you think because you're like, oh, that's yes. actually true. Yes. So I think that was a lot of the, the philosophy that that manager went by. And he would yeah. say, well, go and talk to people, be confident, you know, get out there, take opportunities when you see them, um, be, be confident in your potential and just learn, apply yourself yeah. and you will get there. You know, wow. and um, I thought that was that was great advice for me because, as I say, I was working and I still do work in a very male dominated environment mm. uh, with a lot of people who had been on the job for years, who I felt knew everything. And I was sort of there. Like, They're going to think that I need to know everything now, <laughs> like, you know, when I walked in. So I think um, as a grad, it was good for me to have somebody who saw a spark in me, believed in me. Absolutely. And said that yeah. I need to believe in that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think in terms of quotes, so I did sort of give you one, but I, yes, do, you did. I love it. I do. I do have another one that I am um, another two, actually. We'll do two. So yeah. I've got great things never come from comfort zones. Right. I like that quote. Yes. Um, yeah. 
And I like that because I have very much felt that in my career, whenever I've pushed the boundaries and I've pushed for opportunities, I they have not been in my comfort zone at all. Right. But from them has been a fantastic experience and an opportunity. So yeah. take Hong Kong, that was not in my comfort zone, going to certain people and asking if I could present a business case, you know, and, yeah. and saying, can I have this opportunity, even though it's not on this fantastic, I already have a fantastic opportunity. I was already on a brilliant grad scheme. Mm. It was all worked out for me. Yeah. But then I then went and said, please, can I? Exactly. So yeah. I think being out of your comfort zone sometimes and pushing yourself, you know, even when with the National Rail Awards, that wouldn't necessarily be my comfort zone. But getting involved in that and, um, you know, talking to fantastic people and really knowledgeable people like yourself, um, it's been really fun and I've really enjoyed it. So I think pushing yourself out there is uh, is definitely a good one. And then don't let the fear of failure be greater than the excitement of success. I love that. I love that one. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's bizarre that the first one that you shared, the great things come outside of your comfort zone. I've actually shared that on Twitter this morning. How bizarre. Yeah, I've shared exactly the same <laughs> quote. And I'm definitely going to share that second quote because I love it. And we all, we can end up with kind of paralysed, can't we, about, about getting out there and doing something different and stretching comfort zone stuff again. Because what if I don't, if I don't make it work, what if I fail? Um, and and that kind of brings to mind another quote that I love, which is what 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 if I fall and it's yeah, but what my darling, what if you fly? And that kind of taking that leap and letting go of the ledge and going for it. Rita Williams, I have absolutely loved every minute of this conversation. Um, as I said, and at the risk of repeating myself, you inspire me when I see you and I see where you are in your career in this industry and how you talk about it and the stuff that you're being involved with. Um, you are a total inspiration. I just think I wish we could just wheel you round to every school <laughs> and college and university in the land to say, look, this is how exciting a, a, a career in transport can actually be um thank you for joining me on this podcast i really appreciate it and i know that our audience are going to love listening to this conversation so thank you thank you thank you very much for having me i've really enjoyed this i know i've, I've probably gone on but i i enjoyed you know what i do i enjoy talking to you and i think this has been a fantastic conversation it's definitely thank made you. me think back to a few things as well so it's been good yeah. thank you. brilliant thank you My huge thanks to Rita for joining me on the Intuitive Insights podcast and being so inspirational in terms of her entry into the rail industry and uh, and what she's achieved since. I think she's definitely one to watch. 